0: Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively.
1: Your hosts, Candy
0: and Ashley, will
1: discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale.
0: Oh, it's that time of day.
2: Tune in and hear what the ladies say. Thing in between. So come on join the fun. The curtain opens in
1: three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. Are you excited about our interview?
0: I am very excited about our interview and I'm excited about what he's gonna tell us
1: about the topic of our interview. Me too. I'm super pumped about this. Guys, in keeping with our October theme of Spooktober Ashley's the one who suggested that we do an episode focused on H.H. Holmes and the Murder Castle, especially since it's been in the news a lot lately because we have an upcoming series. They're gonna make a Hulu series that's supposed to come out in 2024, eight episodes, and it's going to be called The Devil in the White City, starring Keanu Reeves as the architect Daniel H. Burnham. And so when Ashley suggested it, I thought it was a fantastic idea. I started researching and almost immediately came across this other book called H.H. H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil. And it's by this gentleman named Adam Seltzer. And when I started researching the book and also found out more about Adam and how much he knows about H.H. H. Holmes, mm-hmm. Chicago history, all these things, I immediately sent an email asked if he might want to be interviewed and he said yes I'm so So, thrilled Ashley and I are excited to be able to find out all about H.H. Holmes from an expert who also based on I've seen him in the TV series now American Ripper, and I can tell he's very personable very interesting to listen to so Mm -hmm. I am I have high hopes for this interview all right well let's get to it all right Well, Adam, we are so excited to have you here. We knew that we wanted to do H.H. Holmes as one of our October episodes, and so my first Thought was just you know to research that case and and H.H. H. Holmes himself and I almost immediately ran across your work. Well, of course I'd that. seen <laughs> I'd seen you know a lot about Eric Larson's book but yours came up your book H.H. H. Holmes the true history of the white city devil. As I started to research you and your book I saw that you actually have a very broad um, involvement with the entertainment industry. Since I'm that's just a
2: focus, life on charm. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, could you could you give us a little uh, bit of information about <laughs> your background?
2: Uh yeah I've been uh I got start my start writing young adult novels about fifteen twenty years ago I parlayed that into a gig running ghost tours in Chicago and I parlayed that into a gig writing a, the Smart Alex Guide to American History mm-hmm. and then a whole lot of Chicago history books um, a few more young adult novels uh, ended up being a talking head on a whole lot of TV shows uh, if they're doing H H Holmes then they're not talking to me I feel like they're not really taking it seriously oh, and yeah. many of them are not taking it seriously so that's fine if I get skipped over. Uh, um, but I've I've done uh, any number of TV shows, a lot of podcasts, a lot of radio shows, just kind of floating from one thing to the next, I guess. My new book is called Graceland Cemetery, Chicago Stories, Symbols and Secrets.
0: Oh, uh, Graceland
2: so- Cemetery was founded by a Holmes's single biggest individual swindling victim.
0: Who? Who was that?
2: Uh, Thomas Barber Bryan was his name. Mm, okay. Holmes bought a copier machine company from him, paid with a promissory note.
0: Of course he did. <laughs> what inspired you to write this book?
2: Well, I've been doing Holmes tours and presentations for years. Uh, One of the ghost tour companies I worked with years ago wanted to start doing Devil in the White City tours. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed the book, but it all took place in, like, two locations. So I didn't feel like I could get too much of a tour out of it, necessarily. So I started uh, digging through the old newspaper archives and going through all the microfilm reels and stuff, just trying to find more things to talk about, more locations that I could trace him to. Mm -hmm. And found, for one thing, just how much ink was spilled on this guy at the time. There's more data on him than anybody else i have ever researched in this kind of a field and i've I've researched other killers before but nobody who had quite so much detailed data certainly not nearly as much in the legal archives there's a lot in the legal archives um and also it just turned out that the way people tell the story is really not what happened it's a whole mix of uh, tabloids pulps and urban legends that have kind of grown up and become the fact over the years as sometimes happens so gradually i've decided it was time to put a book together on it
1: well love
2: that
0: (laughs) yeah why do you think so much ink was spilled on him what made him so special back then
2: uh partly it was just the way newspapers worked back then as people expected a big chunk of newspaper for their money Uh um they would have much more detailed articles like 10 years later when they were using a lot more photographs the amount of text in a paper seems to have gone down a lot Mm -hmm. right right now i'm working on a guy from about 10 years later there's way more pictures but the articles don't go into anywhere near as much depth Mm -hmm. um so that's a part of it. Partly it was just happened to be the right era at the right time. And also something about the guy just captured people's imaginations at the time.
1: Yeah. Who's the fellow you're working on right now?
2: Oh, I'm doing I'm really hoping to do a Johan Hawk book next.
1: Oh, I haven't heard of him. Do you have a He sword? was
2: um, when they when they caught up with him, he had already proposed to what they thought might have been wife number fifty five. Oh, oh. <laughs> one of it one of his wives is buried at Graceland Cemetery. She didn't make it into the book. Uh he I don't think he, he didn't kill all of them. I I'd, I'd say he probably killed half a dozen or so. Mm, which is still, the wives? Yeah. Mm. Well more often he'd just marry them, get a hold of their money and then run off.
0: And then to leave, gotcha.
1: Wow. Hmm. Well, you've you've kind of touched on this a little bit already. I, that's something that I saw you were given a lot of praise for was how incredibly well researched your book was, and you you seem to have found so many primary sources, so many documents that other people either couldn't find or didn't take the time to dig into. Um, so,
2: some of it they could, they probably couldn't have found without being in Chicago, hmm. um, like the stuff in the legal archives, especially. Holmes got sued a lot while well, he was in Chicago, but yet, without actually going into the legal archives and having them pull these things for you, I don't know how people would really be able to get them too easily.
0: Mm-hmm. How are you able to do it? Really,
2: do you-, you, there's, you don't need any special credentials or anything. You just, you just have it. to be there. But you have to put in the request. Uh, you have to find the case in their, in their microfilm index first. Uh-huh. And it's tricky with Holmes because usually he would have somebody else's name on top of the paperwork. Uh-huh. So I had to look up his mm-hmm. mother-in-law. I had to look up his various wives, his business names, his various aliases, his friends I'm sure there are more out there that I didn't find Mm -hmm. but from what I was able to find there were about 60 of them and once you put in the request then it's a few weeks before they actually get the files and you can only do a few at a time Mm. so it was kind of a long process
0: but you had the patience to do it
2: yeah it was it's I had I I, I get addicted to doing these kind of things
0: (laughs) do you like the research
2: they they were holding me up as an example of what not to do with the ERC like don't give us this giant (laughs) list of stuff like this some of which we've already tried and failed to find before (laughs) And now they've even changed the rules. You can't get like ten things at a time anymore. Wow!
1: Oh, is that because so, of you? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, just curiosity. Now, how long did it take you? How long did the process take?
2: Um, well, I've been researching it off and on for five or ten years. By the time I got the book contract, once I got wow. the book contract, they wanted the book and the mysterious Chicago book written in three months. Oh! Simultaneously. Wow. So, how was and that? It was for ADD medication. <laughs>
1: Well, going back to, to where I was headed a minute ago before I got sidetracked by all these interesting details. In the reviews, they not only complimented your depth of research, but something that I saw over and over again was this observation that people would say that your book is this perfect companion book to Eric mm-hmm. Larson's work and so I wanted to ask you, in what way do you think that your two works either complement or supplement each other?
2: Well, he kind of tells the story of H.H. H. Holmes as though it were a novel. Yes. And also it leans in a lot on the urban legend. Some of it was stuff wow. that he wouldn't have really been able to find very easily at the time when he was doing the research. Not as many papers had been digitized, of course.
0: Sure. But also mm-hmm.
2: there's stuff I think he was just disinclined to mention. Like, he was definitely reading the Chicago Tribune archives, but he found the one we he said, we found Charles Chapel, the guy who would buy dead bodies and make them into skeletons, but not... not... Not the article the next day saying never mind his name is Myron or the one after that saying never mind this guy will just is just somebody who will say whatever the cops tell him to if they pour enough whiskey down his throat. Mm. So really, oh, his man. takes all of the, uh, pretty much every d- legend that they dreamed up at the time, everything that the uh, was dreamed up by later tabloid writers, and then filled in the blanks by assuming that maybe he fits the model of what we now call a serial killer. And he's pretty upfront in his endnotes about which parts he just made up. Oh, uh, he is- mine oh. is probably less gripping <laughs> if you try to read it as a novel. It's a lot okay. more, here's the bare facts. But okay. this is, here's what we know and what we don't know. Here's how how this, and how the legend grew.
1: Awesome.
0: I'm going to read a excerpt from your book. So it says, from your book summary, it says, America's first and most notorious serial killer in his diabolical killing spree during the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, now updated with a new afterword discussing Holmes's exhumation on American Ripper. H.H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil, is the first truly comprehensive book examining the life and career of a murderer who has become one of America's great supervillains. It reveals not only the true story, but how the legend evolved taking advantage of hundreds of primary sources that have never been examined before, including legal documents, letters, articles, and records that have been buried in archives for more than a century. So we were wondering if you could explain why Holmes is regarded as America's first serial killer and what? actually occurred during
2: that killing spree. Uh, why is he referred to as America's first serial killer? That's marketing. <laughs> Simply 100% marketing. Uh, it he, I, I didn't write that summary. That's somebody at the publisher. Holmes was not the first serial killer in America, okay. really, by any definition. Not even the first one in Chicago.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, there were two about a decade before him in Chicago that I think fit the bill, at least as well as he does. Another guy about 50 years before that sure sounds like it to me, we just don't really have enough data. Um, but about 20 years Years ago, twenty-five years ago, people started calling him the first serial killer, and it kind of stuck.
0: Okay. Well, who are who are those other people you were talking about? Uh, there them. was
2: a guy about ten years before him named Dr. Thomas Neal Cream. A dean job just had a book out about him. I actually found one of his victims. I was doing some in the in the microfilm reel. I found some stories about a woman who'd been murdered and realized this is exactly his method, and it's a block away from his office. Oh. And that's uh, that's in the book now. Okay. Um, so yeah, solved a mystery. I love it when that happens. That's <laughs> and, awesome. Uh, there was also a guy named Dr. Henry. Meyer, who uh, killed his wife, his girlfriend's husband, possibly his next wife then got out of then eventually married a woman and they had this whole thing going where that she would marry another guy then they would kill him and get all of the money and it went on for quite a while he did several years in jail then like in the 1910s he got out somehow came back to Chicago right back to his old neighborhood and started doing exactly the same thing and I think wow. he died in jail but it's remarkable how little they covered the second act of his career I haven't found enough then in the 1840s there was a guy the first guy hanged in Chicago was named John Stone and they had pretty much caught him red-handed This woman had been Mm. brutally murdered and he kind of slipped up and said, oh, I didn't get rid of my shirt because there was no blood on it. (laughs) And in jail, (laughs) though, he insists, he still insisted that he hadn't killed her, but did say, but I have killed other people before. So this is probably fair. that sounds like, like a serial killer enough. to me
0: yeah it does it sounds
2: <laughs> there's just there's just not enough data to know
0: so this is totally off topic but just something that what is up with chicago and people murdering people all the time because Candy <laughs> and i covered the girls of murder city and it's just like is there something in the water or what's well, up
2: really even in, in 1930 we were ranked number 46 for our highest murder rates in cities it's so and, cool. you know, we've always had, we've had them better publicized than other places. We <laughs> may have more mm. sensational murders than other yeah. places.
1: First of all, I'm amazed. How much time do you spend researching? Because you seem to know so much information about everything. Is that your primary job now? Are you a historian?
2: That's pretty or- much it, yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a tour guide by trade. And I, and I started doing virtual tours during the pandemic. And one thing I've kept up is every single morning I find something to talk about in Chicago. So I'll go mm. out and find a cool house or a cool historical story and we'll go see if the building was still there mm-hmm. or something in a cemetery so it's it's a lot of research for that and honestly yeah. some, more more than i can retain sometimes a month later like oh yeah was well, that story with the guy who was a blues singer and uh, mm-hmm. something about underwear <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> so, so you're always it? investigating go ahead always actually. there's always something new to research yeah
0: What's a virtual tour? What does that look like? Well,
2: it's it's, it's live stream. I walk around okay. with uh, in the morning. I uh, take out my phone, walk around, and broadcast on the Mysterious Chicago Facebook page. And then twice oh, okay. a week, we do full length virtual tours that you can also get on YouTube or Twitch.
0: Okay, and people uh, can and I pay do the time you. time
2: travel pub crawl. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Huh. Yeah, we, go, we we virtually go to long long defunct bars and uh, pretend that we're there and talk about the history of them and stuff. It's a lot of fun.
1: That is that sounds fun. great. Very cheesy fun. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask. You've already shared a few of the misconceptions or the inaccuracies. It's funny to me that someone who is so, what's the word, who prides himself on knowing the true facts behind everything, had a book summary on your own book that didn't capture it the way you wanted it to.
2: But, um, it's not the worst I've ever had. You know, yeah. So many of my books, I don't like the cover. I don't like the title. The marketing copy does not really describe the book very well. It happens all the time. Publishing okay. is a horrible business. And I just made, it was year, you know, YA especially was just years of misery and humiliation. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. But going back to HH H. Holmes, what are a few of the other biggest misconceptions or inaccuracies that you've come across?
2: Well, the biggest and most common is that he owned a hotel. Mm. Owned and operated a hotel. That's that's kind of the basic of the Holmes legend is that he owned a hotel full of uh, killing equipment that he was using to prey on women who came to Chicago for the World's Fair in 1893. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, he did say that he was going to open a hotel in late 1892. He added a third floor onto his building that was supposed to be the hotel mm-hmm. space, but it was never completed or open for business. And I don't think he ever really intended for it to be. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was just one big uh, move for swindling operations. Mm-hmm. The idea that he was luring people to a hotel is just came out of one line in a New York newspaper. Uh, towards the end of the investigation, they were just kind of spitballing, saying, playing what if, what uh-huh. if but their one paragraph about it was reprinted in just about everything written about Holmes thereafter. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: So since you've researched and actually visited the site where the murder castle once stood, what can you tell us about the design of the building and some of the key events that occurred there?
2: Well, honestly, it was a dump. It was, really? it was a building that uh, he started construction in the uh, summer of 1887. Uh, initially, it was just a very basic building. It was uh, retail on the first floor and apartments on the second. The third mm-hmm. floor that he added seems to have been built very, very cheaply. It was mm-hmm. not; it was better than a papier-mâché facade, but not by much. It was really just there to uh, assure his investors and the suppliers and the insurers, look, there really is a third floor going up here. Mm-hmm. And then also he needed something to set fire to when he set fire to it for the insurance money. So that's mm-hmm. uh that was kind of the plan the whole time. There were some hidden rooms in there. There was a hidden mm-hmm. chamber in between the first and second floor. There was a kind of a secret staircase. Uh, they weren't so secret that everybody who lived and worked in the building didn't know about them, but they were mm-hmm. hidden anyway.
0: So it's sounding more like he was just doing all this for insurance scamming and any murders were just a bonus for him? Pretty
2: much. The murders were generally people he needed out of the way. Okay. People who knew too much. Uh, yeah. one, the, one case definitely for the insurance money, but all, mm-hmm. even in that case, I think it was, he might've actually been planning. The one murder he was convicted of was Benjamin Peitzel, his friend, hmm. who he killed with chloroform poisoning. Yeah. And the plan that he'd been telling people, that he'd been telling Ben's wife, that he'd been telling his cellmate in St. Louis was that they were going to fake his death and get Right. The money, and at one point that might have been his original, his actual plan. Somewhere along the line, he decided to just kill him.
0: Mm. Probably something with Peitzel, something Peitzel said.
2: Must must have been something he said, or something to do with. Uh, decided he just couldn't trust him. He's he's known to have had a drinking problem.
1: Mm. Mm. Peitzel or Holmes? Peitzel. Okay.
2: Peitzel. Holmes uh, did not. Holmes did not drink.
1: Mm. So in the American Ripper, I believe it was, they talked about a shoot that ran down through the murder castle and also there was a, gar-
2: there was a garbage chute
1: oh, okay so it was not designed
2: to i don't think it was probably for dead bodies no okay
1: mm. another misconception then that you might clear up for me i think they also shared uh there was at least one room supposedly where he could control the gas from his office and then send it that, up into a that room that comes
2: up a lot but it's mainly from a 1940s retelling there were some articles about finding gas lines, but I think they all turned out to be just the gas line, the same gas lines that you'd have anywhere else, you know, heating and cooking gas, he- heating, cooking, and lighting in those days.
1: okay. so then if if it weren't used as a hotel, how did he come to murder the people that he did kill within the murder castle? Do you think?
2: Well, I'm not sure that he killed anybody inside of the building, Really. There mm, okay. are five Chicago victims. And whether they would have been killed there as anybody's guess, Julian and Pearl Connor, the first two, are as likely as anybody else. Um, he was fairly consistent in saying that Julia had died during an abortion. Right. And he later actually said which building it took place in. It wasn't this one. It was like uh, some guy's establishment, some guy who had been mean to his janitor lately. Mm. So it's a uh, it's well, Pearl. I think would be more likely to have been actually killed there. He probably poisoned her, and that could have been done about anywhere. Um, the next two, the Williams sisters, mini, Well, the next one was Emmeline Segrand. It could have just as well been done anyplace else. It was another one. He said that she died during an abortion and then the Williams sisters more likely would have been killed in their apartment up on the north side
0: okay so there are some people who say that he killed as many as 200 people he's confessed to 27 but yeah some of those of those are still alive still alive and knowing his character and personality like you do now what do you what do you think about that the, uh, well, the, the 200
2: number came from a couple of uh, 30s and 40s uh, retellings, mm-hmm. and at the time they were saying, well, some people at the time even suggested, obviously exaggerating, that it could have been as many as 200. Oh. And that was really just the Pulp Writers spitballing. Nobody actually said it was 200 back at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's a, it's. A, but all of a sudden, now it's become like the starting place. Around Halloween, the number gets up to the thousands.
0: Gotcha. Um,
2: <laughs> in the appendix of the book, I've got a list of uh, all the victims that were ever actually suggested, all the ones that, were, that are known, and all wow. the ones that have been debunked. There are a handful of maybes. There's a few okay. of them. There was one woman named Anna Betts who lived nearby. She died of apoplexy, according to her... Uh, Uh, death record which just meant sudden death at the time but in his letters holmes talked all the time about the press has been so insistent that i killed anna betts and i've never found an instance of anybody in the press accusing him of that so Mm. the fact that he was so convinced that they assumed he did was a little bit suspicious
0: okay Mm. how many do you think that he killed
2: there's nine that we can be reasonably sure of Then there's Anna Betts as a possibility. There was a guy in Mississippi who's, the story's a little shaky, but it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's Connor's sister, Gertrude. He was accused of killing when she first died. And they have like a record from the doctor saying, no, she died of heart failure six weeks after she came home from Chicago. But Ned was just so insistent saying, no, we can prove that she died pure. She did not have an affair with Holmes. Holmes did not ruin her. Oh. And it almost seems like they were willing to let him get away with it rather than imply that she had ever had sex, uh. Uh, whether against her will or not. That's just okay. a very 1890s thing to say. Gotcha. Mm. Gotcha. It, it makes me a little suspicious that he's so insistent about it.
1: Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask a quick follow-up question. Do you think the fact that he was paid all that money to write his confessions had any impact on his saying that he had killed twenty-seven people, or do you think it was another Absolutely way it that? Did. Okay. Or Absolutely. I didn't know if he was trying well, to just.
2: The New York World had just announced that he was going to confess to having killed twenty people, which hadn't come up or anything. But as soon as that was in the press, if he had published one of confessing to fewer than that, it would have been a letdown. Gotcha. Mm. And yeah. it's entirely possible that the ones who died during an abortion, it might not have even been intentional on his part. By no account was he a good doctor. It was a dangerous operation back then.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, having just watched American Ripper, in which you appeared several times, I think you were yeah, in four episodes. About half is the that episodes, right? Yeah, yeah. Could you share a little bit with us about your experience on that show and specifically about thoughts about when they exhumed Holmes's body?
2: A little spicy about that. You know, my, one of the major reasons I worked on that show was I thought they'd let me come out when they exhumed the body.
1: They didn't? And, they didn't.
2: And then finally, I called them and said, "I could, I could." You know, they said, "Oh, we're already here." And I said, "Well, I'll fly out at my own expense." They're like, "Ah, oh, that's no, too late now." <laughs> But by, by this time the show was about to air and the book my book had just uh, had come out the hardcover edition. Mm-hmm. And so there was all this stuff in the press that was kind of inconvenient for them <laughs> I think.
0: Yeah. Um... I was
2: getting a lot of I was getting some very interesting texts for a while there. Oh. But yeah, I worked on the show for the better part of a year. Like all the time, they were calling me, like looking for more data, looking for a picture of somebody, or looking for something, some other lead that they could follow up. And I, I had a good time with it. I had a great time with the cast. I had a great time with the crew. It was really fun to film. Um, I thought. I I told them right up front, I don't think I've got plenty of paperwork that shows me that Holmes was in Chicago during the Ripper murders. And it really just wasn't his style to begin with. Mm -hmm. But you know, sometimes I was able to talk them off of some of the really wild stuff that they came up with.
1: Mm -hmm. So basically, they just kind of pulled you in when you could fill in the gaps or the the information they needed, but you didn't. You didn't agree with maybe a lot of the theories they were chasing or the information oh, not, that not might have been many. presented?
2: No, no. Okay. Not very many, but I had a good time working with them anyway. And yeah. sometimes they would like, we, we, we think he must have been uh, working with this uh, this British royal who was in school with him. And I was able to find out that, that guy was a different person of the same name who was in school with him.
0: Mm -hmm. and
2: managed to get them off of that trail anyway (laughs) well i was also i was also perfectly willing to send them stuff that might back up their theory like there was a whole thing in 1898 where people were saying maybe he faked his death it was debunked immediately at 1898 but i think that's the information they used to convince the judge that to to exhume the body Uh,
1: well then can i jump for just a second just to follow up on that so in terms of the holmes curse then how if of course their theory was that he had lived that he didn't actually die and that he possibly had come back after these people what do you think about the Holmes curse that was the
2: thing I was honestly surprised to find out that it was uh, at least not necessarily true but a real story at the time not something people made up in the 70s or something that there was a Holmes curse and the story was that a lot of people connected with the case were coming to no good end they were dying or they were getting sick or they were getting hurt and these stories actually started well before Holmes had even been hanged was while he was still in jail. A couple of weeks before his hanging, there was a whole thing in the New York world who I think was just kind of bitter about the fact that they didn't get the confession, so they made up this whole thing and much of it doesn't really hold up to fact-checking. They said that Judge Arnold had been lying uh, deathly ill in bed, but you can also look up No, he was just at a hotel the other day, hanging out in the the Philadelphia (laughs) papers. Uh, And then some of it was like one guy lost his election to be president of the Union League, and there were people who died. There was a juryman who was electrocuted at the time and in the years that followed up, there was like a jailer who died by suicide and things and uh uh, one of the doctors who did the autopsies was what died under mysterious circumstances uh things like that so that helped keep the story alive because every time somebody connected with the case died the stories the papers would bring back the whole story and talk about the holmes curse all over again Mm -hmm. but most of the people that i would have expected if he was going to get revenge the people that he would have most likely gotten revenge on escaped unharmed it was these weird side characters who right. had something bad happen to them not the people he would have really blamed
0: right gotcha. i'm sure you've heard about the upcoming movie with keanu reeves mm-hmm. it's the devil in the white city and reeves is going to be daniel h burnham so what are your thoughts about this show and the significance of burnham in holmes's story
2: so, well it's an interesting choice i don't think keanu reeves looks anything like daniel burnham i, I would, thought it was interesting i would have i would have cast him as uh if we were going to have him one of the architects charles bowler atwood the guy that burnham mm-hmm. wrote that uh Root hired uh, the Burnham hired to replace Roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has kind of that that swashbuckling debonair aspect about him. He was uh, he would show up when he showed up at all. He was always hours and hours late or days late. He'd been off in a haze of drugs someplace. <laughs> And yet he designed like half of the fair that's and crazy. several other Burnham buildings over the next couple of years of his short life, always w- w- living in mystery. A woman showed up after his death saying, oh, I'm his wife. And they said, mm-hmm. he didn't have a wife. He was a well-known club man. And it uh, mm-hmm. turned out he did. Um, <laughs> oh, well,
0: there
2: she is. I tried to get his probate file a while ago, but it seems to be missing. I bet it was a ride.
0: Oh, <laughs> interesting.
2: Well, in a, in a, that's, that's who I would have cast Keanu as a really... We can at least trace Holmes and Burnham to the same building. Uh, There were a couple people that Holmes did business with that had offices in the rookery Burnham's, uh, where where Burnham's offices were. Uh So it's entirely possible they passed in the hall. Uh, Really, the connection between them is mostly, exists in the minds of writers
0: gotcha okay speaking of writers so based on your book who would you cast as holmes
2: who would i cast as holmes i was thinking about that um if we could go back in time sure matthew broderick when he was a little bit younger
0: Oh, you might be
2: a little too old for it now, but I, I, at the same time, they're not necessarily going for historical accuracy. So, sure. maybe
0: still. yeah, yeah, that's a good choice. That's a really good choice.
2: That, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. Or, John Cusack is never is seldom mm. found in a bad movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right, I like him. I'd have him
2: be maybe Frank Geyer or something, the detective. Not that Actually, they've but- asked me.
0: <laughs> well, if they do, I mean, you, you Scorsese and
2: DiCaprio <laughs> are producing it. I was at the same Bob Dylan concert as them in New York a few years ago, but I, I really did try to find them afterwards. I bet but no luck.
0: Aww.
1: I'm interested because the homes that you're painting for me is different than the homes I saw when I was watching American Ripper. Oh, for sure. And and the the little research that I've done, I did read Eric Larson's book many many years ago, um, mm-hmm. but I remember thinking it was more literary and more as you said kind of that broader story of the world's fair than necessarily
2: yeah that novel writing style of historical fiction where like he stepped off the train and smelled so and so and it's it's a pretty good guess
1: so what i would like to know is so who was holmes to you because i you know the dissecting guy the medical guy i mean i you've you've painted him as a swindler for sure a con man
2: but but who else was he to you he was a swindler first and foremost that was his number one thing he was uh, I, I consider him a very audacious swindler not necessarily a very good one
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, a good one wouldn't have been caught quite so often as he was he was mm-hmm. caught a lot he was mm-hmm. a guy who kind of got caught up in uh, something that turned out to be a lot bigger than him and allowed himself to be swept up in the current
0: do you think mm-hmm. he liked getting caught is that part of the the
2: fun of it I'm not sure he, I think he liked staying ahead of the law a little bit I think he mm-hmm. liked the attention for sure
0: mm-hmm. that's what I mean I wonder if he did this stuff and he enjoyed getting caught but he enjoyed getting away with it more like if there was the I think I think he enjoyed
2: getting away with it more. He was uh he made things more complicated for himself. Like right from the start, he lied to the census man. He lied to anybody he came across really. Mm-hmm. He uh lied to the college board. He lied to whoever even times when he could have just told the truth and it would have been easier. Even times when, you know, what what difference does it make what state you told the census man you were born in or how old you told the census man you were.
0: So it just sounds like he's a uh, sociopathic or psychopathic and just lies and yeah, qualified to
2: make the diagnosis sure. like that. i mean I'm, I'm not a doctor and i haven't examined the patient
0: yeah sure but it <laughs> sounds as though
2: Yeah, it's it's it fits a lot of the symptoms to me but you know even yeah. if you're a doctor you should never make a diagnosis without examining the patient and do he was examined by doctors but they were asking different questions than we would today
1: sure but if i understand correctly so many of the murders did happen in the context of the swindles but what yeah. about the children what about peitzel's kids yeah the
2: kids knew too much um, no. The tor- home story at the time was still Ben actually is dead actually is still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, He's we he fake the whole thing it's just an insurance thing. Alice knew that he was dead. Alice had helped to identify the body she only saw the teeth but she knew. Mm-hmm. She knew that this wasn't just some big scam and she probably would have told her siblings about this.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, changing gears, we've already mentioned just how knowledgeable you are about all things Chicago. Just for our listeners, you have a mysterious Chicago website. Mm -hmm. You are not only the historian that we've talked about, but you've also led hundreds of these mysterious Chicago tours that have already been referenced. You've written many books, not just the newest one, Graceland Cemetery, Chicago Story, Symbols and Secrets, but you've You've written several others as well. You have your Mysterious Chicago podcast. And then, of course, all these TV shows that that we've referenced. So all that said, could you share with us a few other surprising or interesting stories related to Chicago that may not relate to H.H. H. Holmes? Oh,
2: boy. Yeah. So we mentioned Johan Hawk. I can talk about that guy forever. That's another case that was widely reported at the time, but nobody ever really put the pieces together properly. And I'm still trying to gather all of the data. There was a woman writing for the Chicago American who did as much research on it as any police officer did. Mm. Uh, she ended up accompanying a woman who uh, said that he had married and deserted her to New York after he was captured, then rode all the way back to Chicago with him on the train interviewing him. And the guy was just such a goofball for a serial killer. He looked really? like the guy on the Pringles camp. <laughs> and talked oh, no. like a german character on the simpsons they like oh other women for your go crazy yeah <laughs> he thought the the whole thing was a giant joke he was uh endlessly quotable he's uh, a really fun guy to research and it's a fun puzzle to put together trying to figure out how many of these people did he actually marry and desert how many mm-hmm. were just deserted by some other guy with a mustache and one of the <laughs> best ways to find out is really he was bad at keeping his story straight Uh, like they would come up and say so how when did you marry this woman he was that was 1890 i mean i've never actually but that happened over and over that he would slip up and say the wrong thing so still working on putting all that together i've gathered a lot of data about it there's not quite as much on him uh the story i've been doing the last just the last week or so is every week we do a thing called find a grave friday on mysterious chicago That's Ah. the thing. I go to a cemetery where I know there's a particular person buried, but I don't look up where or what the grave looks like. People figure it out in the comments and we play hot and cold until I find it.
0: Oh, wow.
2: And last week I decided to look up this guy, a songwriter named Paul Dresser, who's at St. Boniface Cemetery here in Chicago. He was a a songwriter who wrote like maudlin parlor songs, you know, these, these monstrously boring songs like My Gal (laughs) Sal and The Letter That Never Came, like nostalgic songs about mother home and soldiers and not drinking.
0: Yeah.
2: But- <laughs> It turned out there was a 1914 article in the Chicago Defender a few years after he died. That was the most famous black newspaper in Chicago at the time that talked about this upcoming benefit concert where a guy was going to sing a song by Paul Dresser that was the first blues song, which is an absurd thing to claim about anything. If this had been a white guy calling something by Paul Dresser, the first blues song, it would be absolutely absurd. And we just all have a good laugh, but coming from the cultural editor of the Chicago Defender, it's at least worth looking into. It turns out the song in, question was kind of an urban legend at the time the sheet music was rare but people had it the story was he had just uh right after he he, one of his wives was a woman named may howard burlesque queen yeah. And she left him with a dying baby, a drug addiction, and possibly syphilis. Oh, <laughs> and The urban legend behind the song was that he was uh, playing at Tony Pastors, the clean vaudeville house in New York, and looked up and there was Mae Howard and her new husband looking down laughing at him. So he improvised this song, The Curse. That was all about, may you never find happiness, may your wails go unearned, my curse will follow thee. Um, Musically, there's nothing bluesy about it, but this was a guy... Uh, for once in his life, singing from his gut. And it became mm-hmm. kind of an urban legend. People would recreate this on stage. Uh, Dresser himself said he refused to perform it because it was a hoodoo. He said some other singer got okay. shot while singing it. Oh, wow. So it's it's still, if, if it's a blues song, then so are all those songs where women stand on the edge of the ocean and tell people not to marry. So are some of the Psalms of David. But <laughs> it's uh, it's at least, he's exactly the kind of guy who would have stumbled into uh, being a footnote in blues history.
0: Mm. Wow. And this is going to be a book? Or
2: what? I put it up as an article on my Patreon. And I actually put that as, it was just so so interesting that I put it up as a free one about Paul Dresser and the f- first blues song. Because mm-hmm. the story gets wilder and wilder. Because, you know, the, the the singer that he was talking about is a mysterious character. Uh, Columbus Bragg, the reporter who called it the first blues song, probably repeating what the singer said, mm-hmm. was also a really interesting guy. There's just one one rabbit hole after another in this story. And I love That's it when like that it. happens. Every couple of weeks, I find a story like that that'll just keep me occupied for days. Huh?
0: That's
1: awesome. Just to piggyback really quickly, just before you came on, Ashley and I were talking about Mm -hmm. the idea of going to a cemetery for one of our October episodes, you know, different grave sites. As a tour guide, is that something that comes up a lot? Do you take any tours into
2: graveyards or is... That's really my main thing is cemetery tours these days. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. That's, uh, just, I do Graceland Cemetery tour this time, this time of year uh, several times a month. There's also Rose Hill Cemetery that I work at here. Uh, Oakwood Cemetery down on the south side I'm finally putting together a proper tour of. Uh, nice. Cemetery tours are great because you can always, if you, if you get tired of telling some story, just take a left-hand turn. There'll be another one to tell instead.
0: Mm. How do you keep wow. it respectful for the people that are buried there?
2: Well, my thing is I want to portray these people as though they what, what they, not so much what they owned as what they were like. Mm um i want to find as many stories about them as possible i'd much rather find something about a joke that they told or a prank that they played or Mm -hmm. something like that or um Mm -hmm. something interesting about their life not just who they married and um Mm -hmm. i'm not necessarily respectful to all of these people some of these people do not deserve (laughs) much respect you know i wouldn't say anything to them when they're dead that i wouldn't say when they were alive
1: okay yeah you just want to make it personal but it's also it's also
2: part of why i usually keep it uh to stuff that's older stuff from like the HH Holmes era where I can be more or more of a smart aleck and it doesn't really uh, cause any damage.
0: Gotcha. I've still
2: gotten the occasional nasty letter, but it's also, it's usually like, you're just missing the wonderful work of the Chicago police on the Holmes case. Like, I don't even know which urban legend you've read. that (laughs) Did anything wonderful in Chicago.
1: Yeah. Any standout stories from your tour from one of your tours, something that was very, I don't know, shocking or different or,
2: Oh, all the, all the time we'll find stuff. There's this gorgeous mausoleum at Graceland uh, designed by Louis Sullivan for the Getty family. And it's been on every tour that anybody's ever given of Graceland Cemetery, pretty much, just for the architecture of it. But nobody for years had talked about Alice Getty, Henry's daughter, who's buried there. She was a composer. She published. Uh, had a braille printing press. She oh, published really academic, brainy books on the history of Buddhist art. She lived in a monastery in Japan for a while, wow. but then her manuscript about it was destroyed by the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, she could have wow. been in an Indiana Jones movie
0: that sounds and amazing. all
2: the time I would find stories like this. I mean, even these guys, these, these dull businessmen turned out to have daughters and wives who could have been in movies themselves. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So it's, is it all famous or well-known people? Is there any? Unknown? Oh, not at
2: all. Okay. Uh, I, I especially like finding stories of people that aren't as well known. There's a okay. guy named Jeremiah Price. Nobody had talked about him in 130 years. And when they were last talking about him, they were just still swapping stories about how boring he was. <laughs> it was a comically boring individual who died in the 1854 cholera epidemic.
0: And that's it? And so some of the best it? stories are in unmarked boring? graves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What do you find out about those?
2: Uh, usually it's just uh, all, sometimes it was just going through the internment book at the cemetery looking for interesting causes of death. Sometimes it's uh, having read about somebody through their obituary or a newspaper mm-hmm. story then finding out they were buried there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could, I could go through the records and find out where it was. Like the guy, the skyscraper burglar is in an unmarked grave. Mm. A guy whose uh, cause of death is given as brutality of a policeman in 1867 is in an unmarked grave. Uh, We just got a marker for a Black Civil War soldier
0: who had been unmarked the whole time. So listening to you talk and the amount of research that you do, how do you memorize all of these facts? Is it just repeating no it idea. over and over? It's just you <laughs> I, have a photographic memory. What do you? Think I it is? really
2: don't know how I do it. Honestly, like a lot of the morning mini tours that I'll learn for a week or so will be out of my head a week after that. Sure. They get pushed out by whatever the new thing is. If there's one that I've told more than two or three times, I can usually tell it again. Sometimes it'll just go down to muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Um, like next week the virtual tour next Thursday night is going to be uh the drunk history version of my ghost tour. Um, I've done that one. <laughs> So many times, we'll see if I can just still do it when I'm completely smashed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that'll be something to, to tune in for. About how many people do you take on a tour at a time? I mean, how does this
2: work? Well, on a walking tour, I usually cut it off in the range of about 30 people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, ab- ab- above that, I feel like the quality kind of suffers.
0: Yeah, I would say so. because it Yeah, gets but a virtual a tour, I can
2: have any as, as many people as will log on.
0: Sure. Which do you prefer?
2: Well, they both have pluses and minuses. I love getting out there. I love meeting the people. I love telling the stories. Virtual tours, I can do things that wouldn't work in in person. Like geographically, there's stuff I couldn't possibly do Mm -hmm. uh, that are easy enough on virtual tours. I can pop between different cemeteries, uh, Mm -hmm. end a route in the middle of the cemetery, not back around by the gates. Uh, so they both have different challenges. They're both uh, fun for different reasons.
0: Well, our last question then is what current or upcoming projects should we look for and is MysteriousChicago.com the best place to follow you?
2: Yeah, MysteriousChicago.com is the best place to go. There's a very active uh, community on the Mysterious Chicago Facebook page. There's a there's a fan club cage called Mysterious Chicago Regulars and Miles Fan Club. Miles is the cat. Yes. love it. And there's even going to be, we, we even have a convention once a year. It's a very active group. It's a really fun group that shows up on all of the live streams uh my next project i haven't decided for sure yet i've got a proposals going around for three or four different books at any given time so Ooh. we'll see which one sticks i guess in
1: terms of the publishing how does this work do you have to pitch every book or do you now have kind of a standing relationship where you oh where i gotta you have I an gotta idea pitch every
2: book Okay. I definitely have to pitch every book. Um, there was a time when I was uh, early in, y- in my YA days, I could at least get one published based on a proposal or something like mm-hmm. that. But I've never gotten to a point where they'll just publish whatever I put out. No, mm-hmm. okay. not at all.
0: We, we hear so much stuff about Chicago, like the Girls of Murder City and Holmes, where all this debauchery and all this bad stuff is going on. Can you sell us on Chicago? Why is it the greatest city?
2: Well, it's the greatest city that anyone can afford to live in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the, the rent has not gotten completely out of control here as it has in some other cities. It's an affordable city. It's a walkable city. You can live Mm -hmm. here without a car. There's something for everybody. Whatever kind of stuff you like here, you can find it here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the last time I knew somebody who even got mugged, they stole his flip phone. That's how long ago it was. (laughs) I mean, people love to portray Chicago as this horrible hellhole. But no, I walk down the street without getting shot every single day.
0: (laughs) That's good. I'm glad. I'm sure you're glad, too.
2: But no it's, it's a wonderful city here. My neighbors are great, my friends are great. You can just you can you can get most of what you need without leaving your neighborhood. There's a fantastic park right behind me. I'll walk through the park and there'll be nine different sports being played, some of which I don't even recognize that are from parts of the world that I'm not familiar with.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. This has been so fun. You're so interesting to listen to and and we just can't thank you enough for oh, nice. for talking with us and sharing all of your your interesting stories and your knowledge.
2: Well, thanks for thanks for having me.
1: All right, Ashley, what do you think?
0: That was astonishing how much knowledge that he has and how he can recall it I was in awe of his power of recall
1: I really was and his mastery of it because he was just like it was rolling off his tongue and my brain was like struggling to keep up with him yes. because he just knew so many interesting details that just right at, you know right at the tip of his tongue
0: mm-hmm. but
1: that was fascinating mm-hmm.
0: and you know who needs to meet him and Tommy do they <laughs> need oh, to meet were- can you imagine these two men it'll be an empire. they will <laughs> take over America with their knowledge.
1: Yeah. But I mean, so much credibility. I, yes. It was very clear yes. just how well researched, just how knowledgeable he was. I every word he said, I was 100% with him. Believe so it. it was really interesting to me having seen just little bits and pieces of the home story mm-hmm. to hear Adam's take on it and to kind of have him set me straight. You know, right. here's what was true, here's right. what's not. That was fascinating to me. I loved it. How did it change your mind about Holmes? What changed? Well, now I don't want to critique the American Ripper story because I I enjoyed it. In fact, I got caught up in, is there a possibility he could be the same man? But because it was telling a story that was designed to be suspenseful and to kind of keep us, you know, hanging on to, to follow this new lead or this new theory or this new piece of evidence that had come to light. I think that in my mind, I did see Holmes as more of, yes, a swindler first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I did get that. He was a con man. He was a swindler first, but I also saw him as kind of a diabolical killer. Right. I did see him as somebody who purposefully, with intention, set out to murder some people and enjoyed dissecting them or mm-hmm. enjoyed killing them, mm-hmm. and I don't, That's not, you, I don't get that feeling now. I don't get that feeling anymore. Yeah.
0: I get the feeling it was just, you're in my way, get out of the way. Mm-hmm. That's more of what you, I feel like.
1: Yeah. This Holmes to me is so much more self-centered, so much more egocentric. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's right. I'm not going to try to put any label on him, but, but he was all about himself. And if mm-hmm. you got in his way, then you were very dispensable.
0: hmm Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Everybody go check out Adam's uh, Adam's work. I'm going to go join one of his live streams tonight and check out one of his, his virtual tours. So that's going to be fun.
1: Yes. Just to say it one more time, the book that we've been discussing is H. H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to go to mysteriouschicago.com so you can see all of his stuff.
0: Definitely. And I think we know who we're going to cheers today.
1: <laughs> well, obviously <laughs> a big cheers to Adam Seltzer. Thank you, Adam. Cheers. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing.
0: At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join Join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water podcast Facebook page, or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast.
1: This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh
0: Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website. And and provides
1: ongoing technical support as a reminder this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes the thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of scandal water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening